From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm Siri Belusu. I'm Amanda Icone. This week, we dive into company structures and the tax consequences that come with those decisions. A year and a half after the 2017 tax reforms became law, closely held companies are still wading through the tax ramifications. Many are seeking advice about whether they qualify for a 20% pass-through deduction, while others are considering whether they should make the switch to a C-Corp to take advantage of the new lower 21% corporate tax rate. We wanted to know how that calculus is playing out, so we caught up with Elizabeth Steef, a tax attorney in Baltimore, where she's an associate with Venable. Explain the differences between the different structures briefly and some of the tax implications for that. Sure. So there are a couple different structures that you can have as a business. And I think the first thing to point out is that your state law structure in some senses dictates your tax law structure, but not always. So um, when we are just talking about tax law structures, what we really have are disregarded entities, partnerships, S-corporations, and C-corporations. So a disregarded entity is just, as it says, disregarded. So it doesn't exist for tax purposes. Everything, um, if I started my own LLC and it was disregarded, everything would just be reported on my personal tax return, taxable at the normal personal income tax rates. The next type of entity would be a partnership. Um, Partnerships and S-corps are similar in the sense that both of them are flow-through entities. So partnerships like S-corporations file their own income tax return but generally don't pay any income tax. They instead pass all of their profit and loss through to their owners, and the owners will report all of that profit or loss on their personal tax returns. And then a C-corporation is not a pass-through entity, and it is a regarded entity. So there we have a separate tax filing entity that would file its own income tax return and pay its own income tax. The shareholders would only pay tax to the extent that the corporation actually distributes profits to them. In light of the 2017 tax law, did any of those factors change? Is there anything that changed in terms of how those different structures are taxed that might be triggering some conversations with tax planners here in 2019, almost two years later? Sure. So there's two big entity choice pieces that came out of the 2017-2018 Tax Act. Um, The first one is the lower corporate tax rate. Obviously, we went from a mid-30s tax rate to a 21% tax rate for corporate income. And the other one is the QBI 199A 20% qualified business income deduction. So the 21% tax rate is available just for the C-Corps, which is the last type of structure we talked about. The QBI 20% deduction is available for pass-through and disregarded entities. So your disregarded entities, your partnerships, and your S-corporations. And so that 21% corporate tax rate sounds very appealing, perhaps, (laughs) to some businesses, depending on how they're structured or the individual circumstances. Can you talk a little bit about the conversations about, you know, whether companies are talking about making the switch, switching from a partnership to a C-corp in order to take advantage of that lower tax rate or that what seems to be a lower tax rate? Sure. So the thing to always remember about C-corps is that there's a 21% rate at the C-corp level, but as that assumes that all of your money stays in the company. So as soon as your corporation actually makes a distribution out to your shareholders, you have a second level of tax. Um, it's at the capital gains tax rate, which is obviously lower than the personal income tax rate, but still you have this dual level of tax. So it's easy to say, oh, it's a 21% tax rate, but remember that you're also going to have to pay tax on that income when it actually comes out of the company. The other thing that's important to remember is that there's other rules that govern C-corporations that may be relevant depending on what type of entity and business you're running. So some things like the passive uh, personal holding company rules, which 
subject passive income generated by a C corporation to an additional level of tax or the accumulated earnings tax, which is a tax that the IRS can impose if a company that's a C corporation accumulates too much income in excess of its working capital needs. Those are issues that you need to think about if you are thinking about converting to a C corporation and you have a passive business or a business where you're going to be keeping an excess amount of money in the company to maximize that 21% rate. Are companies having those conversations? I mean, are what's the volume? Is anybody switched yet? Are they still waiting on still a lot of rules that have to be, you know, written yet related to the 2017 tax law? What's the conversation with between preparers and clients? So I will say that we have the conversation a lot because I think a lot of our clients um, see in the newspapers this great 21% corporate tax rate and they want to take advantage of that, which is awesome. But I haven't had any clients that have actually converted to a C corporation yet. You really need to have It's a great opportunity if you are a very specific type of business and you can take full advantage of that. And by that, I mean you are an operating business and you plan to reinvest all of your extra income or at least most of your extra income into the company and you're not going to sell your company within a certain period of time. So the other issue, obviously, with converting to a C corporation is that once you are in a corporate solution, to the extent that you sell your business, if it's an asset sale, you'd be subject to two levels of tax. To the extent that you are able to sell stock, you're only subject to one level of tax. But obviously, buyers want to buy assets to get the basis step up. So you could take a discount on the ultimate stock purchase price. One way around this that has also been talked about is if you can qualify for Section 1202, which is qualified small business stock. But that is um, only available for certain types of businesses. You have to meet various types of requirements. So probably more in-depth conversation than we are going to have today. But to go back to the original topic, I guess it's really only an appropriate switch for someone who is planning on not selling for a while or does qualify for this qualified small business stock exclusion, does plan to take a lot of the money and reinvest it in the company so they're not accumulating this extra income and they're not having distributed out to our shareholders. From the closely held business perspective, I would say that a lot of companies tend to distribute out all their income and their owners would like that income so that they can continue paying their mortgage and things like that. So (laughs) to the extent that you're going to be distributing all your income annually, it's not really going to help you at all because you're going to have those two levels of tax. To the extent that you're keeping the money in the business and you're going to have more money left over to reinvest in your business since you're paying a lower tax rate, that's great, but only if your plans are to do reinvestment. So you mentioned that none of your clients so far have taken the bait. (laughs) None of them have switched to a C-Corp. Is that because they're still considering it? Is that because they've just decided, no, this isn't the right move for us at this time? What are some of the, where do they stand in terms of making that decision? Yeah, I would say none have switched so far just because the economics don't play out. So once you ultimately want to take the cash out of the company or when you run the numbers to see what it would be like on an eventual sale, the extent to which the existing owners are planning on reinvesting money over the next few years as opposed to distributing money, it just doesn't, just economically, it just doesn't make sense for the for the clients that I've talked to. So it, it does make sense for some people, but just hasn't, hasn't worked out quite yet. Um, the other thing which I mentioned earlier is the QBI deduction. So to the extent that you are a business that operating a business that is eligible for the QBI deduction, your income tax rate has been lowered hopefully by 20% uh, to the, with respect to that income. So there is kind of already a little bit of a benefit to being a pass serenity. It obviously doesn't put you on the same footing as the 21% rate, but it gets you closer and you still only have that one level of tax since you're going to remain a pass through entity. If someone were to, to convert, generally speaking, how long does that take? I mean, does that take a couple years? Is that something that happens in six months? I mean, it sounds like it's it's much more complicated than just the tax portion, right? Can you talk about that at all? Sure. So the time that it would take and the complexity depends on what kind of structure you're in now. 
if you are a disregarded entity and you've always been a disregarded entity, you can just go ahead and file a form and you're done. Um, if you're an S corporation or you have previously made some sort of entity classification election, there are other things that you need to think about. There's also things that you need to think about like um, the type of accounting method you're on and if switching your type of entity requires an accounting method change or a tax year change or anything like that. So it, it really is a individual specific thing, but it can you know happen quickly if you're in the right scenario. If partnerships, I mean, your experience is that your clients are not making that leap. Do you know, is that common? Is that your sense? Or is are companies just waiting on the sidelines? And what does that mean for the effectiveness of the tax law if companies aren't changing into C-Corps? Well, I'm not sure it has any effect on the effectiveness of the tax law. Um, I would say that I haven't heard of too many entities that are converting just because they don't want to get locked into the C-Corp structure on a going forward basis. And I think especially now, there's probably a bit more hesitancy, given that a lot of the presidential candidates have announced that they plan to increase the corporate tax rate, at least to some extent. So I think now there's a little bit more waiting that maybe there wasn't two years ago. Anything else you we should know about where companies are at in terms of making the most out of the changes in the tax law, either in terms of how they're structured or other tax planning? Yeah, I think it's just, I think it's good for everyone just to use this time now that there's been this change and now that we've kind of gotten our hands around it a little bit better or arms around it a little bit better to review your structure and see if there is anything that you can do. I would say one of the things that we're doing is helping clients who are in passive entities who aren't in a position where they want to convert to C-Corps but want to make sure they're getting that whole 20% qualified business income deduction, just making sure that they are, you know, qualified for it, um, making sure that they have the wages that would support it or the basis that would support it, because obviously the QBI deduction can be subject to certain limitations depending on the wages or the basis of the property held by the business. So I think we're seeing more activity on that end as opposed to the conversion end. And I would guess I would say like a takeaway would be, you know, for everyone to just review their structures and see if they are in compliance and taking full advantage of that benefit. That's a great point. So we're talking specifically about 199A, which is new, right? This is all new tax code. Last year, there was a lot of waiting for rules. Now now we have some more clarity from the IRS. Where do companies stand in terms of that process? Yeah, so now we do have more clarity. And I think every time, obviously, that it that we get more clarity, we get announcements from the IRS, it comes back in the news again. And it reminds people who haven't, maybe didn't jump on it right away that oh, yeah, I should make sure I should talk to my tax attorney to make sure I qualify for this. Um, and I'm sure every year around filing season, it's the same conversation again that clients are having with their accountants and their accountants want to make sure that they are taking full advantage of this tax benefit. So I think it's, yeah, there's definitely still ongoing questions about it. And obviously, through the last year, as the rules solidified, there were ongoing questions about it. And I think, of course, there will be ongoing questions about it until it finally sunsets in uh, 2026. But yeah, there's definitely still clients out there who are, looking for help. So what questions for you would you like answered next? I mean, what are the big sticking points at this point in terms of 199A? Yeah, I think at this point we've gotten enough guidance that people feel comfortable giving advice as opposed to a more cautious approach to we have to wait and see. We have final regulations now. The final regulations are pretty detailed. It obviously doesn't answer every single question, but it answers enough questions that I think there's a good baseline for determination. Are most of the partnerships, pass-throughs you work through, are most of them qualified for the QBI or are they having to make changes in order to qualify? How has that played out? Yeah, in terms of whether most are qualified, it's so specific on the type of business because usually when we're talking about these type of businesses and people who are 
in a position where they're looking for tax advice, they're generally making enough money that they are over the wage wage limit. Um, so then we're getting into whether or not they're eligible at all based on the type of business that they're conducting. And that is just obviously fact specific, whether you're a specified service trader business or not. Well, thank you, Liz, for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and talking with us about partnerships and the potential for conversion to C-Corps, which it sounds like not that many companies are really making that, that leap. Yeah, thank you. Here are the week's top headlines. Tech companies may not be able to deduct the full cost of stock compensation from their U.S. taxable income if a recent Ninth Circuit ruling stands. Intel subsidiary Altera Corp. is expected to keep fighting the case, which is being closely watched by tech companies like Facebook and Google, because it could force companies to change their cost-sharing structure. New Treasury Department regulations block some state loopholes that allow taxpayers to deduct more than the $10,000 cap on state and local taxes that was included in the 2017 tax law. Some states, like New York and New Jersey, tried to shield their residents from the deduction cap. But Treasury said most state approaches provided too many tax breaks. Now, states are seeking other workarounds that would stand up against the newest regulations. G20 finance ministers have green-lighted an OECD proposal that will revamp how multinationals are taxed by the end of 2020. The new blueprint includes a global minimum tax and new rules to give more tax revenue to market jurisdictions, where consumers are located. The OECD followed up to say it's working on economic analysis of forthcoming proposals that could be released in October. For more on these and other stories, go to news.bloombergtax.com. That's all for this week's episode. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. And I'm Siri Belusu. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Adam Allington. I'm the host of a new show from Bloomberg Environment called The Business of Bees. Here's what you need to know about it. We travel around the country talking to people at every corner of the honeybee ecosystem. This is the largest managed pollination event on Earth. In fact, commercial beekeeping is more important to farming than ever before. But bees are also under threat from pesticides and invasive pests and mysterious diseases. It's sort of like Christmas when you go to the hive in December and you open the lid. You just hope somebody's home. If you're interested in bees too, I think you might like the show. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts. 